1: Change is the one constant in life, and yet most of us are addicted to certainty. We like life to be neat and tidy, but the reality is it's anything but. Today's guest, Emma Nadler, got a call from her daughter's doctor that changed her life forever. She joins us today to discuss how to navigate whatever challenge life throws at you. Emma is a psychotherapist and author who helps people understand emotions, build deeper relationships, and find meaning in life's challenges. Her memoir, The Unlikely Village of Eden, is about learning to adapt and accept when life doesn't go as planned. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show. Emma,
1: let's begin by talking a little bit about your daughter. Tell us about the call you received that changed your life.
2: When my daughter was seven months old, I received a call from, from a geneticist. And I was actually, I was on vacation in Palm Springs, California with my family. Um, and I was sitting in a, you know, rental, a, a kind of a dirty rental home that looked better online than it did in person. And the phone rang and, and it was the geneticist with the results of the blood work for, for my daughter that we de- that we did as kind of a, Precaution just to, just in case because she was having some trouble meeting milestones and was having trouble with feeding. And I found out that she was missing a significant amount of DNA, that she had a large genetic deletion, and that it was unknown, absolutely unknown. How that would affect her and how that would affect her life but we knew that it would have a significant impact on her functioning
1: so as a mom you know we have these expectations these dreams these visions about what our children's lives would be like and when you receive that information what was that like for you what went through your mind
2: it it felt like it felt like I knew already knew it was gonna be one of those moments that I would remember forever. It felt, I was so scared. I was, my mind was racing, my heart was racing. Um, And and to sit with that uncertainty was so difficult. We discovered that we would get an appointment once we were back in Minnesota where, where I live and where my family lives. We could get an appointment at some point, um, and we would learn more at that time. So we were really sitting with, and I was sitting with, so much unknown and continued to sit with that unknown and and in many ways still do.
1: And so what did you learn when you got that appointment and you got more information?
2: I learned that there were only a handful of people who had been documented to have this specific genetic deletion and that this was so rare there was no name and that my daughter's my daughter's life would be impacted they didn't know um, would she walk would she talk would she live be able to live on her own Um, they suspected there would be significant developmental delays and other very real medical challenges. And they listed many, many things, heart problems, vision problems, essentially going deaf over time. There were so many things they listed that were possibilities for what the future could hold.
1: And what, if any of the things they listed have occurred? What type of health challenges have you all been facing?
2: Eden does live on a feeding tube. She had some anatomical challenges, some motility, which means problems with digestion that have resulted in her not being able to eat foods through her mouth. She does live and get all of her calories from a feeding tube. And she does have significant developmental delays and severe autism. She does walk. uh, She does talk. She does read She does have the best dance moves I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. She is playful. She's connected. She loves her people. She is wildly loved. Um, So some of the things came true and some of them did not. What has this journey been
1: like for you and the rest of your family?
2: It's been many, many things. It's been, and that is really what The memoir, The Unlikely Village of Eden is about, is about all the different parts that I experienced because when I got my daughter's diagnosis, I really, I wanted a book that included so much of the experience. I didn't want to hear um, only the good parts about what it's like to have a disabled child. There are books out there that talk about, you know, how it saved the mother and how and the mom gives up everything and finds, you know, true love in this child and and I have found true love in my child and I also wanna be a whole person and I also um, wanted to keep my career and as a psychotherapist and I also found it really difficult and so I wanted a book that was funny also and a little bit irreverent because that's what helped me get through life and the hard things. And and so I, I put it into this book because I I think when we don't have what we want it's time to create it Mm -hmm. and so that's what this book became is it really it really I left it all on the page I really put everything in there I did not hold back I really let you in to what it's been like for me and I hope that that helps others feel less alone and and um and that's the way I wanted to do it what is an average day in your life like that's a great question. I love that question. Um, an average day um, an average day consists of it consists of caregiving and it consists of my daughter needs 24/7 care and she needs help with every aspect of life. Um, and she needs someone to be right next to her to help her stay safe. And it involves running the feeding tube. It involves um, probably listening to music with her because that's her favorite thing. My husband's a musician, so we have a lot of music in our home and dancing. Um, I hope most days involve going outside because nature is something that really matters to me and it's really helped my life. It involves uh, often seeing my psychotherapy clients, um, which I now have an online practice um, in private practice um, which I love and i I really love getting to do that work and um, and hopefully on a good day it involves connecting with with other family or friends
1: you know when someone goes through some type of a challenge and and another person witnesses what you've experienced they often say things like i don't know how you've done that you know and and in my experience it's yeah. just kind of like you do what you have to do. You put one foot in front of the other and keep going. How do you think you've been able to face these challenges? Where do you get your strength from?
2: Yeah, you're so right that we, I do get so much of I don't know how you do it and I don't know if I could do it. And I, and I always think, well, if you had to, you would, you know, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I'm just another person who thought this wouldn't happen to me and my family. And here I am living this um no more um experience than, than the next person in terms of when I got thrown into this life and um and what gives me strength is is the people around me give me strength. Um my my village which consists of um dear friends who've shown up for us who will come and hang out in my home with me and my daughter and my kids go for walks with us. Um, it's hard for my daughter to go places because of her severe autism. So we base a lot of our life out of our home and outside. And so the friends who have shown up for me, that gives me a lot of hope, um, and family who's also been relentless in their, in their support, neighbors, um, I think my connection for me, it's Judaism for many people. You know, I think any faith or spiritual connection can be really helpful. Um, I love being outside and, and being around the trees and being around the flowers and being around things that grow. Um, and I think that's, there's a, there's a real miracle to that to being mm-hmm. around uh, the bounty of, of nature and, um, and so and and writing and finding something that i love to do having a creative outlet that's also really boosted my sense of hope because it's given me a chance to shape our story and to have a say in it i think when something hard happens we often feel like i mean of course the, the refrain of it's not fair why did this happen but also like what do i get to do with this you know not feeling in control and for me you know, it's been a big realization, like, yeah, I'm not in control. News flash for all of us, right? We're not in control. But we do have influence. We have influence over our lives. And for me, writing and creating this book has felt powerful because I get to use my voice. And so that's been really helpful to me as well.
1: Wearing your psychotherapist hat for a moment,
2: how important
1: is connection and community in facing adversity?
2: it's the number one indicator of, of being able to recalibrate when, when life doesn't go to plan. Having relationships matters so much. And, and I think in our society, and I think as we've come through COVID, people, you know, we're human and we have kind of lost sight of that. And I really hope this book brings this, this conversation into focus about just how much we need each other. We need each other in difficult times. We need each other in good times. We need each other all the time, and we're really um, we're, we're pack animals. You know, like we need each other to be in it together. And I do think that that's what helps make nearly anything bearable.
1: Well, I think that feeling of hopelessness comes from isolation.
2: Yes, absolutely does. That's that's exactly right. And 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 we we need connection just like we need food and water and. Um, you know, I'm not the first one to say that. Um, it, we, But it's a part of um, an essential need.
1: Oftentimes, and, and I know I've been guilty of this throughout my life, I, I worry a lot about tomorrow. And when you are facing the types of challenges that you are within your family, I would imagine that if you allow yourself to go down that road, it can be very frightening to worry about what tomorrow may bring. So when we're trying to navigate adversity or a challenging situation, is it important for us to stay in the present moment and not allow ourselves to wander down that road? It's definitely the most
2: advisable path, and we're all imperfect, and so I think that there's this this human part of all of us that, in our minds that will wander to the past, that tries to make sense of things, that does wonder what can I do? Because that's, that's the human grappling with wanting control. If we blame ourselves, then in a way it was still up to us. So there's, there's this real human component, but yes, of course, the hope is, and we can help ourselves, bring ourselves back to the present. Um, and, and there's many ways to do that, like through mindfulness or meditation or other means, um, that can be really helpful. But I do want to say it's going to be imperfect. But I think as a practice, if we could try to bring ourselves back to what's happening now, that's certainly the most relieving way to live. Well, you just
1: mentioned imperfection. And when we become parents, they hand you another life. You have no experience, no knowledge, there are no rules. You know, you're just, here's your child, now go home and raise it, keep it safe, and do a great job. And it's probably the hardest thing a person can take on. And so when we try to bring this this notion of perfection into parenting, I think we're setting ourselves up for some type of heartache. So can you talk to us a little bit about what it means to parent imperfectly?
2: Yes. And I really hope we can move the narrative and, and our cultural understanding towards the good enough mother towards the good enough parenting versus we must be perfect because I do think that's right now the story that mothers and parents are given is you know you should be perfect and it's it's so detrimental to all of us and I think it affects almost every mother in some way or another and as I'm thinking about what we could do most for mothers. I think it's to allow for a range of experiences and to support mothers through systemic changes and programs that would help mothers um, be less alone and feel less of the weight of raising their child. I think we need we need more help is what we need. Um, and I think that would help a lot with the perfectionism um, to if mothers were more supported, I think we would be less hard on ourselves. And so,
1: you know, we've been talking a lot about these visions that we have for our lives, these expectations that we hold so dear. But like I said in the beginning, change is the one constant. Just when you think something is going on track, it's like it has, you know, life has a way of knocking you over. So if you could kind of bullet point some of the lessons you've learned, and then also incorporate some of your psychotherapist knowledge. What would be a few of the key points you'd like us to know to help us live an unexpected life?
2: Yeah, I I think that's, I think that's a great question. And I'm considering, you know, how do I synthesize this? I think one, one piece is asking for help, being willing to Ask for help when you need it. And I also think on the other side, um, those who know someone going through a difficult time, offering help and being as specific as possible about what you can do. Uh, An example of that would be I'm heading to the grocery store. You want to send me a list of a few things that you want, or I'll just grab some things. Let me know. That would be an example of a very specific ask versus. What can I do for you? Let me know how I can help. Those really broad sentiments, while they may be coming from intentions to be there, but it, it isn't It isn't specific enough. So I think the more specific you can be, the better. Um, and that includes in the asking for what you want and need from others. And um, the other lessons that I got from this book, we... We can get through difficult things when we do it together. And in that is where we can truly connect. And in watching
1: Eden every day and the way she lives her life,
2: what has she taught you
1: about life?
2: Well, she's taught me the best dance moves. Um, and even before, and she walked later than is typical. Even when she, it was hard for her to move, lower part of her body she would do these great like shoulder twerks and head moves and she was like all in on it even from when she was a baby she just loves music and what she's taught me beyond you know that very important piece of busting a move um, is I've, I've really met incredible people through her who really act in a communal way and aren't about themselves or me, but more about a we and an us. Mm-hmm. So she's helped me find those people. And she does also encourage me to, to revel in, in smaller moments of life, to notice what is fun um, and to remember to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Do you think she lives her days with joy? I do. She does have joy. She has joy and she also has pain. She does. She has um, the severe autism. She Some of the symptoms of that have been really difficult for her and the feeding tube can be hard on her and some of her medical challenges. So I think she definitely has joy and and she also has struggle. And, and I think that's similar in many ways to what anyone's life is, is a mix of Really, you know, ease and beauty and um and and real deep challenges. the book
1: is the unlikely Village of Eden. If you would like to learn more about Emma and her work, you can visit emmanadler dot com Emma in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with?
2: Well, first of all, I would like to say thank you so much for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation and You've asked some questions I've never been asked before, and I love a good conversation. I just like, I really, that's my favorite thing to do. So thank you. And, um, or or listeners to take from this is, well, first of all, to support mothers, support mothers and caregivers, and lend a hand. And I would like to encourage people to be a part of the web of helping others and being helped to be a part of that exchange, because I think that's one of our most unique things that we can do for each other. Being human, letting each other in helping and being helped.
1: Emma, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for sharing about your daughter. You know, you've gone through some really challenging times, but I think that you're going to change so many lives by being open and honest about your experiences. So thank you for being here to get the conversation started. Thank you again. This has been great. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: Again, that's bestpathforme.com. What is ambient acoustic stimulation, or AAS, and how can it help you feel your best? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, an app for stress reduction through relaxation and meditation with sound and music. Acoustic stimulation is rhythm, pitch, tone, and dynamics used to evoke a psychophysiological response. Ambient Acoustic Stimulation, or AAS, is employment of acoustical techniques to envelop the listener in a soundscape that induces a psychophysiological response, resulting in relaxation, meditation, or other states of consciousness. States of consciousness like meditation provide a respite from daily stress by reducing mental chatter and producing a relaxation response. Ambient Acoustic Stimulation, AAS, is an easy, effective, powerful way to release physical, mental, or emotional stress. AAS is accessible to anyone without hearing impairment. It is a safe, reliable, easy way to relax and regain mental clarity and emotional well-being. I'm Allison Ayati and I want to help you live a healthy, happy life. To learn more, go to livingthesoundlife.com. The Sound Life is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention.
4: breakfast it's the most controversial meal of the day some say it's the most important and some say you should skip it here's the thing by definition everybody has breakfast it's simply the first time you eat on any given day expanding how you think about breakfast is key to making healthier food choices no matter what time of day you have your first meal in America, we're inundated with marketing from an entire subset of the food industry about breakfast foods. They're mostly processed and carb laden but even natural choices go heavy on fruit, light on veggies, and rarely get past a protein choice of eggs or pork. Now, while I appreciate that some people may not want to tackle a mackerel first thing in the morning, there's no reason that foods we consider to be lunch or dinner foods can't also be breakfast foods. So here's my challenge to you. This week, add some veggies to your first meal of the Day and try a protein that you consider to be for dinner at breakfast time. By reducing carbs in your first meal, many people find that that meal tides them over longer. And adding veggies into breakfast is a great way to get in more of the good stuff. I'm Julie Sloan, Certified Health and Wellness Coach with Well and Grounded Lifestyle Healing. I help people transform their relationship with food and health through a 90-day challenge where we focus on mindset, nutrition, and food psychology. Get tips and find out more at wellandgrounded.com.
1: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us today to talk about natural remedies to keep our pets healthy is integrated veterinarian, Dr. Carol Osborne. Welcome, Dr. Osborne. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Dr. Carol, as the weather warms up and we spend more time outside, what are the major concerns for pet owners? Well, it's a great time to think about preventing fleas and ticks. How dangerous are fleas and ticks to our pets?
5: Not that they're so dangerous. They're more of a nuisance than anything. Um, And prevention is definitely the way to go Uh, when it comes to fleas. uh, If you're looking for natural remedies and you have a flea-free home, you can get yourself a box of borax, sprinkle it all over your floors and your carpets, uh, leave it on for a couple hours and vacuum it up. That will give you one year of flea-free protection within the home. Um, Certainly talk to your veterinarian. There are all kinds of monthly uh, edibles as well as topicals that, that do a pretty good job. If you want to keep everything natural, and you, you know you you did your borax, um, there are a variety of a variety of herbal uh, remedies out there. Um, you can make dips with uh, rosemary, peppermint, clove, and a, a variety of other herbs that are pretty effective. If you want to you know bat, bath and dip your pet, uh, it's not a bad idea at all. You have to remember that fleas live in your home, uh, as opposed to on your pet. They they only jump on your pet long enough that. Take a blood meal, jump back down, and lay a whole bunch of more eggs.
1: And what about ticks? How can we tell if our pet has been bitten or if there's if there's a tick that's attached to it?
5: Well, I tell my patients to run your hands along your pet uh, every morning and every evening. Uh, and if you feel something that shouldn't be there, you know, remove it and see your vet. Ticks, you know, drop down from the brush. There are uh, conventional products like, like NexGard, for example, which is a prescription uh, monthly chewable uh, that does effectively eliminate fleas and ticks, um, and there are some over-the-counter products that I would be skeptical on. The big thing with ticks is that they can transmit 10 different diseases, most of which are transmissible uh, to mom, dad, and the kids, um, and and that's the real issue. So. A lot of people are familiar with Lyme's disease, uh, but in addition to that, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, uh, Anaplasmosis, Ehrlichiosis, the list is long. Um, so that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Um, the other important thing, or the good news is, uh, they have to attach for 48 to 72 hours before they, infect, can transmit disease. So if you see a tick, remove it, make sure you get the head and put it in a little jar and take it to your veterinarian if you want to. You can tell if they're engorged, uh, you know, because they get big and fat. They're very nasty creatures. Um, th- those are, um, you know, fleas suck blood and cause anemia and itching if you're allergic to them. Um, but, but ticks can really, you know, do a number on you, so to speak. And heartworms, of course, are transmitted uh, by the bite of a mosquito. So we have all these, you know, products that can prevent one or, you know, one does the heartworm disease and one can do the fleas and the ticks. Mosquitoes, again, it depends on where you live. You know, in Florida and in areas where there's lots of water, uh, certainly there are lots of mosquitoes. So different combinations of essential oils. Um, you have to get the ones that are specifically for the dog or the cat. Um, that a pretty good job, certainly, Natural products don't come with any type of a written guarantee, but if you have elderly pets or pets suffering from, you know, a chronic disorder, liver, kidneys, a heart situation, for example, the natural products are probably the way that you would want to strongly consider going because you don't want to put more toxic chemicals, you know, into a pet that may already, you know, be experiencing some other type of a debilitating condition.
1: Dr. Osborne, thank you so much for joining us.
5: And thanks for having me, Joan.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash training.
0: This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City.
1: to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and underprepared when it comes to taking care of your health. But according to our next guest, Casey Guerin, despite what the wellness industry told you, you don't need another cleanse, detox, or supplement. You need a crash course in separating hype from health. Casey is a former executive editor and health director at Self Magazine. She is the author of the book, It's Probably Nothing, The Stressless Guide to Dealing with Health Anxiety, Wellness Fads, and Overhyped Headlines. Welcome, Casey. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Casey, many people are anxious about their health, and they find it challenging navigating all of the information that's available. It's really easy to become a Google doctor, and, you know, I laugh when I say that because I remember years ago when I was doing medical editing, no matter what medical document I would edit, I always had the symptoms of that disease. So it gets really easy (laughs) to fall into that trap, as I'm sure you can attest to. I'm sure you've done the same thing. So how do you think we can go about maintaining good health without becoming that hypochondriac?
6: I can definitely relate to what you (laughs) experienced. I have been anxious about my health and been that person who Googles their symptoms and assumes the worst um, my whole life. And then I ironically became a health editor and um, (laughs) yes, it didn't go away. I also, you know, I would edit something and be like, yes, I have that. I definitely have that. Um, But as a health reporter, you know, we learn to ask certain questions and Dig through the research and the medical jargon, and you learn how to distinguish between legitimate sources and ones that aren't. And debunking those bogus wellness trends, and I realize that those are the tools that could really help the average person to just navigate all of this health information and misinformation that's out there. So I think it starts with you know doing a lot of the same tools and tricks that a health reporter uses when they're you know churning through all of this information.
1: We get so much information from different sources, some reputable, some not so reputable. So how can we go about fine-tuning our BS detector? How can we separate the hype from the health?
6: Yeah, so I think that a really important part is to look for the primary sources. You know, we we learn about primary and secondary sources back in elementary school, and I think it's something a lot of us seem to forget. Um, But you want to always look for, you know, where does that statistic come from? Where does that fact come from? And that can be really hard when you're just on Facebook and seeing, you know, a stat in a shareable graphic or in a meme Um, but you want to look for that primary source you know whether it is peer-reviewed research or a doctor because you want to get more context around what you are what you're looking at Um, and so much so often we don't have that context or we see a headline like tequila helps you lose weight (laughs) and that's not really what the study said so I think when it comes to You know, knowing if something that you're reading online or seeing online is legitimate or not, it is doing a little bit of research. And a lot of that starts with kind of playing that game of telephone, you know, going back as far as you can and finding where does this information come from?
1: And you just mentioned weight loss, and that is really an area that we can drive ourselves crazy researching you know one day you hear do this don't do that like you said drink tequila don't drink tequila although if we had <laughs> tequila we wouldn't be quite as worried about it but um <laughs> you know it it's something that we do drive ourselves crazy with and in particular i think as yeah. women because we have this notion that we have to look and and be this particular um you know body size and shape and so I think that also helps us to follow a lot of the misinformation because we're striving for something that is often unattainable. So when it comes to diet and nutrition, what are some of the things that you've learned all of these years working at Self? Well,
6: you're right. There's so much conflicting reports out there and it does seem like if you searched the same you know weight loss or nutrition tip you would find every other year that it goes back and forth (laughs) and so i think that we should just be really aware of these messages that we are getting from these wellness brands um and you know the the predatory wellness products and supplements that are promising to help you lose all this weight and and just look at is there any evidence for this is there peer-reviewed research to back this up um, and if not, is this even a trusted source on this? Is this just a, a random celebrity or is it someone who has dedicated their career to studying metabolic health and, and weight loss? Um, so, again, finding those trusted sources. And that can be a nutritionist that you see personally, someone that whose opinion you respect. And having that sounding board can be really helpful when you're getting tons of conflicting messages in the media. Because, yeah, you're right, we are often getting... Uh, The message that there's something wrong or off with our body, that we need to be optimizing our health and weight in different ways. And it can really get
1: to you. Do you think that it's important that we learn to listen to our body? I do. But I do think that sometimes we throw around that phrase
6: just listen to your body um, without realizing that some of us do that a lot already (laughs) so for some of us who are those symptom searchers are the people that you know we read something and we assume oh i definitely have that um what i learned from the experts when i was researching this book is that often that health anxiety does stem from paying too much attention to your body and really being almost too in tune with your body and your symptoms. And so when you tell someone, oh, just, you know, you know your body best, um, that's not always the case. Some of us, uh, can't stop listening to our bodies. And so I think it's, there's a fine line there. I think, uh, Listening to your body and, and trusting yourself is one aspect, but also knowing when sometimes your body just kind of messes with you, uh,
1: like having a panic attack. Well, that's the thing because sometimes you don't know if you are actually creating the symptoms in your body because the mind is very powerful.
6: Exactly. And we know that when we do stress out about a particular symptom, um, and again, that can be you know a physical symptom that's not necessarily medical Uh, or pathological in nature, we can make it seem, you know, louder and more salient because we are paying more attention to it. And if you do end up getting stressed out about it, very anxious, and you trigger that kind of fight or flight response, Um, that we know is involved in a panic attack that can come with even more symptoms, real physical symptoms that you might attribute to, you know, I'm having a heart attack or I'm dying. Um, But your mind is very powerful, like you said. So it can be really hard. And the experts that I talked to for this book did emphasize, you know, if you were worried about something, of course, seek medical attention. If it's something that now this is becoming a pattern and you are realizing that, you're elevating these symptoms in a way um, that they can't necessarily find a physical cause. You might want to also seek mental health support because it could be something that, you know, if you're just going to doctors, you're not necessarily getting the support that you need.
1: Casey, what are a few of the best online resources for good health information? Oh, great
6: question. Well, of course, um, any health reporter is going to tell you and recommend major medical organizations like the CDC, the World Health Organization, any of uh, the National Health, Health Institute's websites. And of course, you know, those can be very jargony and not necessarily something that you wanna read every day over breakfast. So if there are other brands, whether they're wellness brands or news organizations that you like to follow, just look into, you know, do they have a track record of reporting on health responsibly? Do they have, you know, dedicated, trained health reporters? Are they transparent about their research and fact-checking process? And this is stuff that you can, you know, just kind of look around on their website, usually scrolling all the way to the bottom and seeing, you know, their their mission statement and um, a little bit more of, of their process. And if that's something that you think, yes, okay, they know how to report on health in a responsible way, I trust where they're getting, where they're including their sources, then I think that's a perfectly fine place to get your health information. It doesn't always have to just be the CDC. Um, but if you are finding that, you know, it's a website that's just telling you like, and surprising, you know, subtle signs of cancer or the tequila helps you lose weight example, things like that, that might not be the best place to be getting your health at price.
1: Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash mediatraining.
6: If disorganization negatively affects your quality of life on a daily basis and you're ready to get help, call Let's Get Organized. We serve clients living with chronic disorganization caused by ADHD, anxiety, or depression, either on-site or virtually. We help you clear the clutter, create and maintain simple systems, and show you how getting organized will change your life. Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com.
7: Are you a hardworking, high-achieving, independent, successful woman? but there's one area in your life where you really want to be successful and it just hasn't happened yet. I'm Odette Coronel, Certified Life and Relationship Coach. I work with women just like you. I can help you create a long-lasting, meaningful, satisfying relationship with your life partner by using my signature life method and reigniting the spark within you. Visit OdetteCoronel.com and book a free session with me
1: today. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us to discuss the importance of self-care for good mental health is Darian Iletto, Director of Outpatient Behavioral Health Services for Bergen-Newbridge Medical Center. Welcome, Darian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Darian, so many people take care of everyone else, and they put their needs on the back burner. How important is it for us to take care of ourselves, too?
7: It is so important for us to take care of ourselves. You know, we always hear that old... um, saying that you know you need to put your own life vest on first, your own life mask on first before you help anybody else. The same applies with our mental health. Self-care plays a large role in our mental health. Consistent self-care can decrease stress levels, lower our risk of acute mental health symptoms, have a positive impact on our interpersonal relationships, relationships and assisting increasing our energy levels. So it is so important for us to prioritize our own mental health so we can invest in others' mental health.
1: When we talk about self-care, what does that mean?
7: self-care is kind of a very broad statement and self-care is different for each individual person self-care is essentially anything that someone does to care for themselves so that they can stay physically mentally and emotionally healthy um there are many types of self-care and some of those types include uh physical self-care like taking a walk taking a moment to be outside finding a type of movement you enjoy whether that be yoga just walking. Um, There's also emotional self-care, which can include therapy, having self-compassion for ourselves, and and having healthy stress management skills. And social self-care, like having a support system, having positive relationships in our life, and having healthy communication with friends and family are are just a few types of self-care that we we can use and utilize to take care of ourselves.
1: Along with self-care, we hear a lot about the importance of being mindful. What does it mean to be mindful?
7: So, mindfulness is really popular right now, and mindfulness is a very popular self care and coping skill tool that we're hearing a lot about. So, mindfulness is being present in the here and the now, paying attention to our thoughts, our feelings in our body, our emotions, and our external environment without judgment and with curiosity. So, mindfulness is such a great tool because we have so many distractions in our day to day life that our minds go a million different places. You know, we're probably sitting here on this all right now and you might be thinking about oh i need to go you know pick up my you know kid later i need to go to the grocery store so it's so important that we utilize mindfulness because it keeps us in the present and assists us in helping relax so mindfulness is super super important especially right now because we have so many things we need to do in the course of the day being present is something that we really neglect
1: how does being present actually impact our mental health
7: Present and in the moment is it's challenging, but it, it does take a certain amount of discipline. But it impacts our mental health because it just lets us be. And there's such a challenge to just be in the moment and being in the moment and just being present, not judging anything, not having a reaction to anything, but just accepting it is such a it brings us peace. It helps keep us grounded, and it helps our mental health in neutral because we don't think about all the other things that we need to do or the things that have happened. We think about what's going on in our present.
1: Why do you think so many of us have a difficult time just being? being
7: present is a really, really disciplined thing. And it it comes with practice. It's not something we're going to just pick up automatically. But I think we have such a hard time is because we have so many obligations in all of our lives: our family, our personal life, our professional life. There's so many needs that we have outside of ourselves that it's easy for us to want to extend ourselves into those different areas and neglect self and neglect the moment. So we take a lot for maybe granted. We take a lot of things at face value that maybe we should invest more in. So it's, it's such an important thing to be mindful and present because so often we're living in the, the future, we're living in the past, we're not accepting and being in the here and now.
1: And I think when we do try to practice self-care, we end up feeling guilty, like there are a million other things we should be doing rather than taking care of ourselves.
7: I hear that a lot with my clients, um, you know, patients say that all the time. They say, I'm, I, I feel bad when I'm going to get my nails done or I feel bad that I take 10 minutes a day to go for a walk or to, you know, do some deep breathing because there's so many other things I need to do. But self-care is not selfish. It is a way that we Take care of ourselves it's the way that we make sure that our self is a priority as much as everything else in our life is a priority we need to be a priority so yes you're actually hitting on a big point a lot of people do express feeling guilty or feeling selfish for taking a moment to take care of themselves
1: what are some of the biggest issues that you're seeing in your practice
7: I think a lot of what we are seeing in our patients currently we are seeing a lot of anxiety or a lot of a lot of depression we are seeing that primarily Um, of course we're also seeing you know the major hitters too, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, whatever that may be. But I think the biggest symptomatology that we're seeing from patients are those related to anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of that is due to the lingering effects of the pandemic and concerns over changes that we're experiencing in society. You know, there's mm-hmm. think about the whirlwind that we've had go on the last three years. It's almost like emotional whiplash, I like to call it, because we've had so much thrown at us in the last three years. It's hard not to be impacted by the ever changing day-to-day stuff that we've been encountering
1: what do you think is happening today to our kids to make them so anxious i'm older and when i was a child being a kid that was the happy time of your life it was a carefree time so why are so many of our children so anxious today
7: Lot of pressure on kids today. I mean, think about when we, you know, I'm older too. <laughs> um, but think about the childhood when we were, you know, kids. We probably didn't have a lot of the things that kids have today, like social media. They didn't have all the pressure on them for, you know, uh, obviously school is an important factor in our childhood. But still, there's a lot more educational pressure that kids are experiencing today. Regarding, are you going to go to higher education? Where are you going for your higher education? Are you commuting? You know, um, the impact of social media on body image. The impact of social media on expectations with life. You know, kids are constantly seeing a highlight reel of their peers and what they're doing and how great they're doing. And they probably start comparing themselves. So we're seeing a lot of children have an impacted sense of anxiety and impacted sense of self because we have these things that maybe were not factors when we ourselves were kids. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot more expectation. There's a lot more stressors that they're seeing. And also think about the exposure to media that kids are getting today that maybe we didn't have in our childhood. You know, they're seeing a lot more things about social unrest, about the pandemic. They're getting a lot more stuff fed to them that maybe we wouldn't encounter. So I think that really does have a huge impact on kids' mental wellness.
1: Information is important, but there's such a thing as information overload. I know when I spend a lot of time on social media, Facebook in particular, and I see images of all the things that I feel like I'm missing in my life, I can go down that rabbit hole and I have coping skills from years of experience that kids today don't have. So I really do feel sorry for them.
7: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There's such an oversaturation for this for the younger generation to have technology in their lives and it's constantly in their face. So how do you get away from that? Because that's not the norm to not have a phone in your hand, to not be on TikTok or Instagram or whatever it may be. That's not the norm. The norm is to be on all these platforms and to be engaging and interacting. So it, it's hard to get away from it.
1: What do you recommend we do to improve our overall mental health? I
7: think the biggest piece of, of, you know, feedback I can give for that is take time each day to do something for yourself. And I'm not saying do like a big thing like you have to go to like an hour-long yoga class every day or you have to go to like, you know, extreme lengths to take care of yourself. Even something as five minutes each day just to commit to yourself, that's huge. If that's five minutes of mindful breathing, if that's five minutes of just reading a book, whatever it may be, find something that you find joy in. Find something that you enjoy and you, you can commit to. Because when we find something that we enjoy and we can actually do consistently, we're not gonna feel that pressure, we're not gonna feel that disappointment when we can't do it. It's something that we enjoy just for ourselves. Find a way to connect to others in a meaningful way. Find joyful movement that you can engage in. Eat well, have good sleep hygiene. That's the biggest thing I think a lot of people struggle with is their sleep hygiene's not that great. But making sure that you take any amount of time, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, 20, whatever you can commit to yourself, do that for yourself each day.
1: How important is it for us to rewrite our story? So, for example, instead of focusing constantly on lack or the negative aspects of our life, to rewrite the story to focus on our blessings, how important is gratitude?
7: I think gratitude is such an important, I think I would consider gratitude a coping skill. I would consider it a form of self-care. To look at what we have as opposed to what we don't have is such an important way to look at life because we can focus on the deficits and we can get really, really caught up in that feeling, that negative feeling, the, the, the I wish I, why not me? Those are really, really hard feelings to, to deal with every day, and we train our brains to do that. We talk about retraining our brain to have new neuro pathways. So if we adopt a way of thinking positively and being grateful, we can now rewire the way we think. So that rather than thinking that there's so many horrible things happening to me or feeling like, you know, we've been, you know, dealt a bad hand, if we rewire our brain and we retrain our brain to think in a more positive way we notice that there's going to be positive impacts on our life we're going to see a better outlook on life we're going to see an increased you know energy levels there's been studies that people who have who practice gratitude have more have, have higher energy levels we and we notice that it impacts our life in other ways but maybe our work performance is better maybe we've you know approached our challenges each day with a new way of a new perspective that helps us to more effectively problem solve. So it's such an important thing to have gratitude in our lives because it's so important to just look at what we have as opposed to what we don't have.
1: Darian, thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you would like to learn more about Darian or Newbridge, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.
0: The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications